As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Speaking selfishly on behalf of interviewees and on behalf of myself when I'm being interviewed, the most impactful thing that I can do is teach add value to the people who are listening somehow. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with my co-hosts, Slocum Reed and Travis Watts. And today we're doing another roundtable discussion. Today we're going to deep dive into both being interviewed for a podcast and interviewing others for a podcast. And both of these gentlemen have been interviewed on other people's podcasts so I'm going to start with a question. Slocum, do you remember your first podcast that you were interviewed on? I do. Hey, best of listeners, Slocum Reed, apartment owner operator and the newest of the best ever podcast hosts. I believe I've been on the fewest podcasts as well. I do remember it was just last year. And how did that experience go? You were nervous leading up to it, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. Showed up way early. And how was the up performance? On a Red Bull. I think it went well, all things considered. I think it was well-received. Based on advice that I had gotten, I focused on adding value where possible. What is it that I know that needs to be shared? And I think it was well-received. Awesome. Travis, your first podcast, and you've done a ton of them. How well-prepared were you? How did it go? And how nervous were you? Yeah, funny story. So I did a one-off podcast way, way, way back when I was investing in single family homes and before the affiliation with Joe Fairless, well before these syndications that I do today and being a full-time passive investor. And I was super unprepared. I couldn't believe that I was asked to be <laughs> interviewed. And so everything about that episode was pretty much terrible. My microphone was terrible. The lighting was terrible. Everything I said was terrible. <laughs> so I kind of got a curveball, so to speak, but it's been a, a learning progress over the years. And we were just talking before this, done over a hundred at this point. And I think like anything, you get better, you improve, you take notes. How did that go? Terrible. <laughs> what can I change and do better next time? And I think most of us can improve over time. Well, you sound like an absolute pro right now. So that's what it takes. Just a lot of practice. I'll share my story. 
Joe Fairless interviewed me back in 2015 and I was excited about the interview and leading up to it, I was quite nervous. So I tried to prepare as much as I could. I had numbers and narratives on all the deals that I had done prepared to talk about all of the deals that I've done, my history, everything, all of that went out the window because the night before my wife had some colleagues over for dinner and that ended up being like a three in the morning night. And Joe's interview was as early as we can make it the next day. So I'm running on fumes and I was super nervous. I remember it was very painful to listen to that interview afterwards. After the interview, I almost called him and asked if we can redo it. It was that bad. So I remember I was very nervous. So I would talk fast and then I would answer his questions before he even finished them. I was afraid of the pauses, man. It was horrible. They must've done some crazy editing because it sounded a little better when I heard it, but it was not good. And if we can reference that interview in the show notes, that'd be good. I'm not going to listen to it again, but um, yeah, it was not good by anybody's account. So my next question is, you're all hosts of this podcast. Do you remember your first interview and how did it go? And what was the big lesson learned from the first one? My first episode was probably the most recent, so I'll go first. My first episode was definitely the most recent. The biggest mistake I made was letting the guest lead the conversation. So I let them ramble on in stories too long after, to use too surgical of terms, but after the value had been extracted from the story and it was time to move on, I just let them keep going because I thought it was a fun story. That was the biggest thing, especially with a podcast, our style, that's a shorter form, more commuter podcast. We need to be getting value from every minute in these interviews. So the biggest thing for me was making sure I'm running the show, running the conversation and making sure that we're adding value. Travis, about your first interview. Yeah, the first time I interviewed someone, I was probably equally as nervous. And it's because of the unknowns, right? You don't know what the responses are going to be. You don't know when someone goes in a, a five minute story or if it drops off in 20 seconds and then you're, <laughs> you're trying to fill some blank space and things like that. I feel way more in control when I'm being interviewed because I can just tell my story like it is and take the time I need and stay on track. I think the biggest takeaway for anyone who's going to be interviewing other people to Slocum's point Go into it with as much organization as you can. Have a template, have a defined, know your time frame, stay on track, lead the conversation, have questions proactively written or prepared so that you're not going into it blind and, and caught with some awkward silences or going over 40 minutes when it's a 20 minute podcast or something like that. Man, you guys are pros because my first week of interviews was just disastrous. So bad. I got an email from Joe Fairless. It was a nice long email where he critiqued a lot of things. But one of the biggest things he critiqued is my energy. And I got to tell you, you guys as podcast hosts and listening to other people's podcasts, it doesn't seem that hard. It just seems like a natural conversation, but it's a lot harder than at least I thought. And Joe's specific comment on energy he said, I've seen how you welcome people that come to your house. Why can't you have that same energy for our guests on the podcast? And when I heard my own interview, again, it just, your energy, 
even if you have a decent amount of energy, for whatever reason in the podcast, it comes across as muted. So you really got to overdo it to make it sound somewhat appealing, right? So again, you guys have a much shorter learning curve than I did. I was just a train wreck on both sides of the microphone. I got that same feedback. And I'll tell you, I usually listen to podcasts at about one and a half times speed so that I can just pick up everything quickly. And when my episodes of the best ever podcast first aired, I was listening at one and a half speed because that was my habit, but I put it down to normal speed and I was like, oh man, I sound lethargic. I sound like I've either just woke up or I'm headed to bed. So that was feedback that I definitely needed to hear as well. I make sure I have a good stock of caffeine on hand on recording days just to make sure. And for a very similar reason, I do all of my interviewing standing up. I'm at a standing desk right now just to make sure I'm physically able to lean in. And I feel like you can hear that now that I'm listening through some of my more recent episodes. I think you can hear when I physically lean in, the energy level rises. Yeah, that's a really great point, Slocum, because I was looking back at some of the video interviews where I was being interviewed before, and I'm slouched back in a chair or on a couch, and it really didn't come out great on the audio. So I've experimented with standing desks for many years. I did it that way, exercising right before an interview. I've definitely done the caffeine thing you talk about. I mean, you got to do something, listen to your favorite song and get pumped up and then go right into the interview, stuff like that. I've done a lot of different things to experiment. I think at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for you, what makes sense. But yeah, the medium is audio, right? A lot of folks aren't watching visually. So that's all you got is your voice inflection. So you just got to give it your best because if you're boring, like a Ben Stein interview, <laughs> people are going to tune yeah. out. <laughs> Travis, do you stand up now? I hybrid mix it. So right now I'm actually sitting because of where my, I have a little mobile office and sometimes I'm standing. So it depends. Yeah. I do the same thing. So look, I stand up as well. Big difference. Both of you mentioned leading the conversation when you're interviewing somebody. Give me a little bit more insight on that. And I want to ask, how do you address when somebody just kind of has a pre-planned five-minute-long dissertation? How do you interject? Slocum, I'll let you start. Absolutely. So the analogy that I think of, and I think this is also the reason why Travis said he feels like he's in more control when he is the interviewee. I treat it like it's my job to open the right doors and then let the person I'm interviewing walk through them. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what their answers to the questions are, but get a feel for where this person's expertise is, where their experience is, and then open the doors that allow them to walk through and add that value. What was the original how, question? How do you address that individual yes. that just wants to dominate and just not even breathe between sentences and just talk, talk, talk? I would say first, it's not just the three of us. It's not just the interviewer. It's also the producer that has happened in a lot of the conversations that I've had on this podcast. And you don't catch nearly as much of it because Kevin catches it. And there are times when outside of what airs, I tell someone, Hey, look, this is a short form podcast. You've got great stories, but we've only got 15 more minutes and we've got places to go. And that's a little bit more gracious than saying something like, stop talking about yourself that way. Like, Hey, look, man, it's a daily podcast. We do a lot of interviews. 
I have another interview coming up. I really want to make sure we add value and that you have a good opportunity to express yourself here. So answer this question and then I'll go into a question. And that's what you actually hear on the recording. Well, a couple answers from my perspective. One, it's a very difficult situation to handle. So on the actively passive show that I do, it's usually just myself. It used to be Theo Hicks and I. I've had, I think, one guest in almost 100 episodes on that show. So that's the short answer, right? Don't have a guest. (laughs) But the larger thing is, to Slocum's point, set the expectation up front It starts with the initial email, in my opinion, saying this is a short form podcast. It's about 20 minutes long. Please bring your best value. Here's some potential questions we might ask during the thing. If somebody comes on board, and I verbalize that before we hit the record button too, right, to make sure that we're in alignment. If somebody's going to blow through that with a 30-minute long story, it's going to be done in editing pretty much, long story short. We're going to chop that down to what it needs to be, (laughs) unfortunately, because it's kind of not really respecting that person's time. It's the same thing as when I'm being interviewed. If someone tells me 20 minutes, I'm not going to go into my 30-minute story. Yeah, Travis, Slocum mentioned Kevin. Kevin is our podcast audio editor, the best in the business, but not everybody has somebody to that caliber editing audio. I'll tell you what I do is I'm from Jersey In normal everyday life, I have no problem talking over people, cutting people off as they're talking. But for whatever reason, on podcasts, I was very respectful. I did not interrupt people or I tried not to. But when you have somebody that it might just be their personality, when they start talking, they don't stop. I found what works best for me is kind of agree on one of their positions and take over the conversation. So if they say, so in my opinion, the economy is going to change. Well, you know what? I agree with you. Yeah, the economy is going to change. But what was your first deal like? <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. Um, totally. Totally. you go along with them and then you take back the reins of the conversation. It's a great point. I was watching one the other day with Robert Kiyosaki interviewing somebody. And I would say that maybe one example of what not to do. <laughs> it was a lot of very abrupt rude interruptions and cutting things short or just going to an advertisement or something. But yeah, there's more graceful ways to do it. I think that's an excellent point, Ash. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. 
They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investor Guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Another thing that caught myself doing a lot is starting sentences with so. And I've seen that a lot of the interviewees, people that I interview, do the same thing. And I wonder if it's just a nervous thing, a normal habit that comes out more when you're nervous, but I replaced so with the person's name. So instead of starting a sentence with so, I would say, Travis, tell me about so-and-so, right? What kind of big life-changing tics or nuances did you notice about your interview style that you fixed? Well, that's an excellent point because everybody loves to hear their own name. It's kind of a rapport builder too. It's also a sign of respect in some regard, right? To use people's names, not just like, hey man, <laughs> why don't you tell me how you got started, right? It's just remembering their name in the first place. So I think that the thing that's helped the most is, is what I was kind of referring to earlier, which is being as proactive as possible, starting with emailing them the expectations and make sure your microphone's set up properly, make sure you have good lighting. It's going to be 20 minutes long. This is what I intend to ask you. Here's some questions I put together. And by the way, I always try to customize. Your guys' role may be a little bit different in the interviews that I've done where I've brought guests on. I always look at that actual person, what they actually do, and I try to find creative questions to ask them that haven't been asked in every episode leading up to this so that we have something unique of value to share. And then as I get them in the green room, so to speak, before we go live with it, I always reiterate my points. I intend to ask you this. Is there anything else you wanted to address? Is there anything you wanted me to avoid or not talk about? And then we just go in with as much rapport as possible. I usually try to throw a compliment in there as I can. Hey, I watched this video with you or this other interview. I love what you said about blah, blah, blah. I'd like to elaborate on that and take it in this direction. Would that be okay? I know that's extreme. I know that for some folks, it sounds like maybe too much work or something, but you got to remember, I haven't put too many guests on my show in the first place. So I've, I've had the luxury of being able to do that kind of research. And I recognize not everybody has, but that's really made a big impact. Awesome. Slocum. A few years ago, I joined a Toastmasters group, which leads to listening to a lot of people give speeches and receive constructive criticism from other people who give speeches and have more experience than they or I did. One of the things that was really helpful learning from Toastmasters is that those verbal tics are subconscious but serve a purpose. They fill or take over the soundscape to do one of two things, typically. One of them is to either maintain control of the soundscape so that you know that I'll be saying something in a moment and you know that you should be listening. They also take over the soundscape to give everyone else the opportunity to know that they need to be listened to. That's where the so comes in. I love what you said, Ash, about replacing that tick with the person you're interviewing, their name. Another piece of feedback that I got really early on with this podcast was that I said awesome too much. 
because I was looking for one of those cues to go to after someone gave an answer. And very often their answers were awesome, but I was saying the same thing over and over again, and it was getting too repetitive. And so I'm a little more aware now of what those cues are. They are helpful though, especially when you need your interviewee to redirect their attention to your next question. So therefore, using a couple of ticks now, be sure that you change it up and use them to catch the attention of the person that you're talking to while also staying respectful to Travis's point and not getting too repetitive. One thing to add to that, I love that. Absolutely. I just remembered you're talking about the most impactful thing or some of those tips and tricks. Editing out in the beginning some of what you're talking about. I used to be terrible at dragging the word um. It was horrible. So if you record yourself for 10 minutes straight, don't give yourself any breaks or whatever, and then go back and listen to it. I would say something and go, um, you know, like blah, 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 uh, blah, 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 blah. So I had to edit in the beginning a lot of that stuff out. I was self-editing until I could pick up the pattern of not doing it, fixing that. Yeah, I think it also helps to practice when I talk to my kids, if I remember to do this, I will speak with them as if I am in a podcast every so often and not talk like I normally do a guy from Jersey. But Toastmasters, there's a guy named Nate Barger, who is just a legend yes. in real estate. And yes. Nate and I talked about going to Toastmasters. And he's like, no, they're going to take your personality away. They're going to teach you how to speak in a corporate boardroom, but it doesn't do wonders for your personality, right? It doesn't connect the real you with the audience. So I decided probably out of laziness and what Nate said that I'm not doing Toastmasters. I'm going to keep my nuances and all my little ticks to some extent. Travis and Slocum, another topic I want to touch on is talking about humility, talking about failure and using that to add value in connecting with the audience. I got to tell you, some of my best interviews were from a guy who was a B-1 Air Force pilot, very rigid, very strict, just spoke as if he was still in the military. But then towards the end of the interview, we talked about where he had just a financial disaster and had to reset. And it was very humbling. He was very vulnerable at the moment. And that built an incredible connection with myself and the audience. And to this day, one of my favorite interviews What's your guys' opinion and how do you either share that vulnerability or try to extract it from the person you're interviewing? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it makes you real and I think it's very relatable to people. It plays a lot into the psychology of earning trust with someone. And I've made this mistake before, right? Because you want to say the right things and you want to whatever, you know, show people the way, so to speak, and you want to leave out the bad stuff and you just want to showcase the good. You lose rapport, number one, you sound fake. And a lot of people don't trust it because you get up there. Real estate's awesome. I've always had great success. I got from zero to a hundred doing it and you ought to do it too. It's just cheesy. It's not real. If you watch any movie, right, there's always the progress and then the setback, right? And then the recovery and rebuild and then the final outcome. You can't miss that setback. I think that's an important piece to telling your story and building a story brand, I think is the name of the book, Donald Miller's book, but I'm sure there's a lot of other resources out there, but you got to tell 
your story. And I think that's a, a critical key that cannot be missed. Travis, how do you extract that from the person you're interviewing? Again, for me personally, it's always a proactive approach. It's, I would like to ask you not just about your successes, but any failures you had and what you learned from those lessons along the way. I always want to do that up front and not put them in an uncomfortable state by spontaneously bringing it out. It's like, great for you, but tell me where you failed. That can be uncomfortable if you're not prepared to talk about it. I love that. And I'm going to start using that in the beginning. Let them know. Thank you for that. Slocum. I need to start doing that as well, Travis. I actually wrote for myself in my own pre-recording, pre-interview notes. And this is to expound on what you guys both said. For everyone who's listening to this, who wants to be a good interviewee and have a big impact, speaking selfishly on behalf of interviewees and on behalf of myself when I'm being interviewed, the most impactful thing that I can do is teach add value to the people who are listening somehow. People don't tune into a podcast to hear about someone because they're successful. They tune in to learn something and in some cases to connect. So it's very valuable, of course, to build that human connection, being willing to talk about your failures, the struggles that you've had. Also, selfishly speaking, as an interviewee, if your goal is self-promotion, The best way to attract the most listenership to yourself and get people to connect with you is to tell them something that you had to struggle through and how you've learned from it and connect with that type of struggle victory story. That's what people are really listening into. To be blunt, lack of a better term, what did you suck at that you needed to not suck at so you improved? Because those are the things and those are the stories that come from hardship where you had to learn and grow and are therefore sharing something that someone else can learn and grow from. That's what comes off the best in an interview in one of these podcasts, for sure. Couldn't agree more. I just want to add one quick thing on that. And it's that I made one critical mistake early on when I was sharing my story. And what it was is I was sharing the vulnerabilities. I was sharing the struggle. I was being too specific where people could not relate to it, right? I was using too many details in my story. I was saying, my boss's name was Bob and I was in Saudi Arabia working for an oil company. Well, how many people have a manager, Bob, that work in Saudi Arabia in the oil company? So instead I would rework that into, I worked a hundred hours a week. I was away from home a lot and the struggle was real. So a lot more people can relate to that. So many good points, Travis. So giving people your mindset at the time, in addition to the details. Here's what I thought when I was working 80, 100 hour weeks and that people can relate with. So important. Slocum, to your points, talking about self-promoting in contrast with offering that humility. I think you're allowed to self-promote once you share your vulnerabilities and your failures. If you just go through the entire interview, self-promoting, you never build a connection with the audience or the person interviewing you. So if you want to self-promote, share your story, share your failures, share your mindset. You can share a story that was a huge win, but temper that with saying, I was so nervous. I almost didn't do this deal. I was so scared to ask these investors for money, whatever it may be. So bring people into your world. Two things. Yeah. If if I can interject real quick, the first Frankly, I think the best self-promotion 
is when you have shared your vulnerability, your struggle and your loss and how you overcame them, that is what leads to the best results for someone who is looking to self-promote is to demonstrate or explain where they have struggled and what it is that they had to learn, what was hard for them that they had to overcome and how they overcame it. That's the best self-promotion. Second thing, Ash, one thing I'm learning from you is how to give a solid, succinct summary of a conversation or an interview at the end to bring the listeners back into what was just said and put a good bow on the end of a conversation. You are so good at that. Thank you. I learned that from listening to Joe all those years. He does a masterful job at doing that. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. On behalf of my co-hosts, Slocum Reed and Travis Watts, best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.